Bow your hearts together with me in prayer. Loving Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy toward us for this time that we gather together in your name and seek to lift our hearts and voices to you. And yet we are reminded that we need your grace even for us to do that. We need your grace to hear, your grace to receive, and we thank you for your mercy. And now we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. If you grew up in the church, this gospel story that you heard read by Tony a moment ago is a very familiar passage, if not because you think of it in terms of the gospel story, but because you think about it in a song that you learned when you were a wee little child. And there was a wee little man who climbed up the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, and look at you, right? You come down, for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. This is a familiar story. And the problem with familiar stories is that we can become complacent as we hear them for the umpteenth time. Now this story, from my perspective, as we ponder it, can generate some questions and some thoughts for us as we consider this main character, but as we also think about ourselves in the light of this story. Zacchaeus has a desire and a problem. His desire is that he wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. And his problem is that he's too short to see over the crowd. Now, those of us who are vertically challenged, we have to learn how to get around things in life. You know, some guys who are vertically challenged decide that, you know, they're going to take on a, a bigger guy, you know, just to prove something to themselves, I guess. What foolish thing always was to me to think about that. But I remember a guy that I went to college with who was well over six foot tall that I decided I would mess with, not physically mess with, but psychologically mess with one day. I said, I make you tall. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, well, if everyone was the same height as you, no one would be tall. I said, but because I'm short, I make you tall. And you should have seen the wheels turning in his head. It messed with that boy for a while. And it was fun in the flesh, let me tell you. <laughs> Zacchaeus learns to deal with his challenge in that moment. He looks around and he sees a tree. He sees the direction that Jesus is headed. And so he climbs up the tree with one expectation. And the expectation is that he wants to see Jesus. Now there's no expectation, according to the text, that he will interact with Jesus. No expectation that he will talk to Jesus. No expectation that Jesus is going to see him. It says that he wants to see Jesus. Now, we don't know why. The text doesn't tell us, but I would suggest we can maybe wonder why. Why would Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Did he want to see this man that he had heard about 
was the miracle maker? And did he want to climb up in the tree and see what a miracle maker looked like? Did he want to see the man whom he heard the people say that he speaks as one with authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees? Did he want to hear that this, had he heard perhaps that this Christ was going to overthrow the Roman government and thus take away his means of living? Is it possible that this man was a threat to him? Or was he hoping that Jesus would throw off this Roman government and even set him free from his burden of being a tax collector? What did he want to see? And the question you and I have to ask ourselves is how do we and what do we want to see when we see Jesus? How do we see him? Now, I know we can make the correct statement of faith about him, that he's God from God, light from light, true God from true God. We can confess correctly that he is the incarnate son of God. But how do you see him? How do you see him from your heart? The one gospel writer saw Jesus as a man full of grace and truth. The Pharisees saw him as a threat to be done away with. Crowds at times saw him as the one who could fill their bellies with fish and bread. Some saw him as one who was full of compassion. How do you see him? Or another way to think about this is how do you hear him? How do you hear him? Now think back to that children's song, right? Zacchaeus climbs up in the sycamore tree, and the songwriter says, and the Savior passed that way that day and looked up in the tree and said, what? Zacchaeus, you come down. And some of you did that when I first did the song, right? Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, hearing that song and seeing those hand gestures, to me, that was not a welcoming phrase. That was Jesus, Zacchaeus, you come down. Boy, you're in trouble. You little Zac tax collector, let me tell you a thing or two when you get down this tree. Right? How do we hear Jesus? How do we hear him? But look at the gospel text itself. The text does not say, Zacchaeus, you come down. The text says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Make haste, Zacchaeus. Come down here. I'm standing here with open arms to welcome you and to embrace you. There's an anticipation in Jesus' call to Zacchaeus. And the question you and I must always ask ourselves is, how do we hear Jesus? Because this same Jesus that speaks to Zacchaeus on that day is the same Jesus who speaks to us today. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we hear him? How do we receive his word? How do you experience him? Now recently, Dave Douglas, I should call him Dr. Douglas, and, uh, and Ryan Russ and I were in a conversation and Ryan brought up that point of how do we experience Jesus? And Ryan posed these two questions. What does he think of me? And what is his experience of me? So how do you experience Jesus? But how do you think Jesus experiences you? How do you think Jesus sees you? 
What do you hear when Jesus speaks to you? Are you able to receive his healing word for your soul? But perhaps what's even more important in this text was not just that Zacchaeus saw Jesus, but that Jesus saw Zacchaeus. That, that Jesus stopped and looked up in that tree and calls him by name and calls out to Zacchaeus, make haste, hurry, come down. I see you up there. That Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Now, if you look at the text, Luke, the gospel writer, tells us three things about Zacchaeus in his account of this story. The first thing we've already talked about, that he was small of stature. He was a short man. And that's why he climbed the tree. The second thing Luke tells us is that he was a tax collector. In fact, not just that he was a tax collector, but that he was a chief tax collector. Now, Luke records for us in his gospel earlier when he talks about the preaching of John the Baptist that even the tax collectors would go out and hear John's preaching and they would ask John as he called them to repentance and they would say to John, what must we do? And John's response to them was, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And the reason John says that to them is because tax collectors had a way of collecting more than they were supposed to. Levi was a tax collector. Levi, who Jesus later changes his name to Matthew, is one of the lowest people in the Jewish culture. Tax collectors were despised and hated. And there is no one who was following Jesus when they heard Jesus call Levi, wanted him to join their group. Levi was an outsider in the culture in which he lived, just as Zacchaeus was an outsider in that culture. Levi was called by Jesus as well. And Jesus says, I want to hang out with you, Levi, and I invite you to come and hang out with me. And Jesus, in the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 8, uses the image of the tax collector and the Pharisee to talk about God's mercy and grace and our own posture before him. Tax collectors were hated by the Jews because of the fact that they were gathering taxes on both goods and they were also gathering tolls as people tried to move those goods. So they were tax collectors and some were toll collectors, collecting tolls and collecting taxes. And Zacchaeus is called a chief tax collector, which implies that what had happened was he made an arrangement with Rome that he would be given a specific geographical area there around Jericho in which every place that there was to be a tax collected, he would have minions who worked under him that would actually sit out there and collect the taxes and then they would give it to him. He would take his cut and he would pass the rest on to Rome. You know, they say there are two, certain, two things certain in life, death and taxes. There's also the disdain of the tax collector. And in their, tax, in their cultural setting, the tax collector was not just dreaded because he was taking their money. He was dreaded and despised because there was a sense of betrayal that went with his position. He was one of their own who was working for the enemy. He was one of their own that was serving the hated Romans. He was one of their own that was aiding and abetting the enemy. 
So this is how Zacchaeus is viewed by his fellow citizens. He's a tax collector. He's a traitor. He's a friend of the enemy. He is disloyal to his own people. He would have been sneered at before he was smiled at. People would have snubbed him before they ever spoke to him. He was at the bottom of the totem pole, considered in the dregs of society in the day in which he lived. But there's a third thing Luke also points out about him, and that is that he was rich. The mass majority of the people in the crowd that day were far from rich. Many of them live from day to day and from week to week, having just enough to get by, and maybe not even that, but never an abundance. They eked out their living the best they could. And at times it was questionable whether that would happen. And here was Zacchaeus, who was a rich man, a wealthy man, and he was rich and he was wealthy at their expense. He was rich because he abused them and took more money from them than he was required to take in order that he might line his own pockets and get rich. For those who are wealthy and who name the name of Jesus, there's always the sense in which the rich must always ponder the sense of their wealth and the sense of what it means for them to be wealthy, what it means to live in that place. The wealthy need to ponder at what expense am I wealthy and at whose expense am I wealthy to ask themselves, what does my wealth really mean to me? Because as Robert talked about recently in our relationship with mammon and our relationship with our possessions as we call them, what oftentimes ends up happening is those things possess us rather than we possessing them. At times you begin to wonder who's in charge in the relationship you have with your stuff. We need to ponder that, to think about that. Money becomes a powerful thing in people's lives. Perhaps you've heard the story about the man who was all about his money, held on to his money as tight and long as much as he could, gathering as much as he can, and he came time that he knew he was going to die, and he said to his wife, I want you to promise me when I die, you'll bury me with my money. And she said, okay. He died. And as the funeral director was about to close the casket, she said, stop, i got to put this box in with him. And she takes up and shoves this box in with him, and then they close the lid down. And she goes back and sits down, and her friend whispers to her, you didn't bury him with his money, did you? She goes, I'm a Christian woman, and I keep my promises. I transferred all of his money to my account, and I wrote him a check. Because if you can't let go in this life, folks, one day you will let go. One day you will let go. Now, I want you to notice now Jesus encounters Zacchaeus. Luke has told us three things. He tells us he's small of stature. He tells us that he's a tax collector, a chief one at that. And he tells us that he's rich. Jesus looks up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. And Jesus makes no reference to his stature. He makes no reference to his wealth. And he makes no reference to his posture. Because Jesus saw him in a different light. He does not speak about his identity as that of a tax collector or as that of a defrauder. 
He simply looks at Zacchaeus, says, make haste and come down, for I must need go to your house today. I must abide at your house is what the text really means. Why does Jesus say he does that? Because he's a son of Abraham. In other words, he's a child of the covenant. He's a member of the covenant community. And when Jesus looked at Zacchaeus that day, what he saw was not a tax collector. What he saw was not a man short in stature. What he saw was not a man who was rich at the expense of those people. What he saw when he looked at Zacchaeus was his true identity. His true identity. Now, there are some preacher boys up in Indiana I listen to once in a while, and they have this habit in their sermons and saying, the good news is, let me tell you folks, the good news is this morning that Jesus sees you in your true identity. He sees you, and whatever label has been put up on you, whatever label that someone has tried to assign to you, whatever thing someone has tried to lay on to you, it is not that Jesus pretends those things aren't part of there, and he doesn't even pretend that you haven't lived into them, but he sees beyond them to the core of your being. He sees your true self. And Jesus comes to call you up and out of your false self into your true identity in union with him. And this is what he is doing in Zacchaeus' life that day. He is not saying to Zacchaeus, you bad tax collector, get down here. He is saying to Zacchaeus, a son of Abraham, a child of the covenant, come down. Salvation is coming to your house today. He calls us up and out of our false self and into our true self in union with him. Because there is a place in you. An aspect of your being, if you please, that no one can touch, no one but God who made you. No one can name it except God. No one can call it forth except the Father himself, the God in whose image you are created alone. He alone can tell you who you are. He alone can give you your true sense of being. It is the Father who names you. It is the Father who gives you your identity. It is the Father who calls you into relationship with himself. That is the good news this morning. That even if you've lived into those false identities that you can straighten up and look straight up and out of yourself and receive the healing word of Jesus for your soul and find your true identity in him. There's a second thing we need to consider in this, and that's the responses. There are two responses that we find in this story. One is the crowd. They grumbled. The King James says they murmured. Isn't that a great word? Murmured. They murmured. The New American Standard Bible puts it this way. They all began to complain. Why? Because Jesus was going into this house of this tax collector and they disdained him. They did not like him and they did not want what was best for this man. They wanted him to pay the price for the things that he had done to them and to their neighbors. They failed themselves to have lived in and received Jesus' word for them. Their Jesus' word to them would go something like this. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
And that sounds easy to read in a Bible study in Sunday school. It's a different thing to put into practice in day-to-day -day life. But that was the problem with the crowd that day. They failed themselves to receive the word of Jesus for themselves and find their true identity in him so that they could respond appropriately in this situation. So they murmur because Zacchaeus, I mean, because Jesus is going into the house of Zacchaeus. They've come into the house. You've got to read the text closely to figure this out. They'd gone into Zacchaeus' house. And as was the custom in that day, they didn't sit around a dining room table and chairs like we do today. They would lay out on the floor around a very low to the ground table, and that's how they would dine. And if you read the text then, it says all of a sudden Zacchaeus stood up. Why? Because he'd been reclining at table. And so he stood up and he announces two things. One is, he says, half of his possessions he will give to the poor. He really got saved, didn't he? <laughs> half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And the second thing he says he's going to do is he is going to make restitution to anyone that he defrauded. Because Zacchaeus gets it. Zacchaeus understands that salvation includes not only our relationship with God, but by extension and not as an add-on when it's convenient. Salvation means reconciliation to the community. Zacchaeus understands that salvation is not individualistic, nor is it a private matter. It is, as Mario Bergner would say, about setting love in order. And that the good news is that Jesus, in our encounter with him, will help us to set love in order. When Zacchaeus makes his confession, Jesus announces then that salvation has come to this house today. Not as a promise for tomorrow, not as a promise of after you die. Not the question is, if you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? It's not about any of that. It's about the fact that Jesus has come into his house and Jesus says to him that salvation has come to your house today because salvation is more than a transaction that takes place upon the cross. It is more than a theological position. It is a living person whose name is Jesus and it is coming into relationship with him and letting him set love in order. Salvation then is about moving toward wholeness. It comes today. Whatever may happen in death, whatever may happen in the age to come, <clears throat> those things are merely a continuation of what begins today in the life of the believer. And the good news for us this morning is that this same Jesus, this same Jesus who met Zacchaeus, desires to meet you this morning. This same salvation that Jesus made available to Zacchaeus is the same salvation that is available to you through faith in him. And I don't know where you are in your life's journey, but I tell you this, that he is ready to meet you where you are as you receive him as he is. May God's grace be with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.